Acts 17, Paul in Athens. Um, I don't know about you guys, but I have this habit when I travel. Um, I don't care where it is. It could be somewhere where, it could be somewhere where I was born, Amarillo, Texas. Um, or it could be a brand new place. I have to go out and explore. I have to. It's, it's in my DNA. I, I, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if I've never been to this place. Um, it doesn't matter that I don't know where I'm going or anything like that. I have to get out and I have to see this city that I'm in. I have to. Um, there's just something that happens with inside of me. A few years ago, we went up to Boise, Idaho, because my in-laws live there. Shout out to my in-laws uh, and the rest of the family. But um, so we went up there, and I've never been to Boise. I've never, I've never been that far north in this country, uh, in northwest. And so as soon as we got there, I mean, I was itching. I'm like, all right, I got I to gotta go. I got to go see this. I got to go explore. I mean, it's just what I do. Um, so Nellie and the kids, you know, they sleep in. They're, they're on vacation time. For vacation for them is, for most of them, is just like, we're sleeping in. Like, we're, we're, why? No, we're going to sleep in extra and all, which is beautiful. It's perfect for them. I don't do that. I do not have that mode, okay? I don't have sleep in mode. I have, I get up at 6.30. I don't care where I'm at. 6 or 6.30. I get up at that time all the time. And, and then so when I'm in another state and I don't have to go to work, I'm like, okay, so what can I go do? I got to go do something. I can't be inside because I'm not a homebody. I just can't stay inside. So when I go to Boise, I go cruising around and I, I make new friends. That's what I do. I make new friends, especially with people at coffee shops. And I go and, I, and I'll go to the same place. By the end of the week, I've made friends and, you know, all this good stuff. And um, I have punch cards and I give it to my family members. I'm like, look, I've already earned you a free drink. Just take this there and talk to so-and-so. They will get you your free drink. And they're like, you don't even live here, right? It's just who I am. It's, it's how I am. Um, today, we get to look at the Apostle Paul in, in, in Athens, and this is kind of how he was as well. He's there. He's waiting for Timothy and uh, Silas, and as he's waiting for those guys, he just he has to go exploring. And my goodness, it's Athens. It's Athens, one of the most prominent cities in our, civil, in our world's history. Okay, now, 100 years prior to the story, I mean, it was really booming, but even at this day, I mean, Paul's like, I gotta go, I gotta go check out Athens, right? He's got his little city guide, right? And he's walking around, he's taking pictures and selfies in front of all the statues and all this good stuff. This is what we find with Paul. However, Paul is not a tourist. He's not a vacationer. He got to enjoy the city, but he was on mission, okay? And that's, that's, that's one of those mindsets and those modes that we, we, we need to learn to shift into, so to speak. Go visit some beautiful place. Enjoy it, the sights, the sounds, and the, the beauty and the creative um, just power of God. But also remember, you might be there as part of a mission trip. Maybe God has allowed you to go take this really sweet vacation because he wants to use you there to talk about Jesus, okay? So never take a vacation on Jesus, never, okay? Never take a vacation on Jesus. As a Christian, from, from, from the start to the finish, you're on a mission, okay? You get to enjoy a vacation. You should take more holidays. Our people across the pond, our friends across the pond have this thing right. They take a lot of holidays, okay? We should do that as well. But on our, in our holidays, our vacations, 
Don't take time off from Jesus, right? That, don't do that. Don't be like, well, I just, you know, maybe I won't go to church. I go to church every Sunday. I'm on vacation. No, go to church. Go to church. Meet some new people. Share the gospel with some new people. Learn from the Apostle Paul. So let's look at verse 16. That's where we pick up. We already covered the first half of Thessalon- or chapter 17 with Paul in Thessalonian, or Thessalonica, and then in Berea. So now he got chased out of Berea, and he is landed at, at the, uh, you know, the city, what's that, those little city signs, you know, now entering Athens, right? Population, I don't know. But uh, this is where Paul is. Verse 16, while Paul was waiting for them in Athens, Timothy and Silas, he was deeply troubled by all the idols he saw everywhere in the city. Okay, so here he is. There's the Apostle Paul. Um, he, he's into this like, most, famous, uh, most famous city. And the spirit, his spirit was provoked within him is what this is saying. Okay, so he's cruising around the city, seeing the sights and the sounds. And it's like an, uh, an, an idol for this, an idol for that, an idol for this. And I mean, everything, everything, uh, idols covering everything. And this is what provoked, you know, his spirit to preach, to share the gospel. Seeing that it's full of, full of idols, he was compelled to preach. Or the, the other way to translate that is seeing that it was swamped with idols. Swamped with idols. Like they're everywhere. And the idol for, I mean, you name it, and there's an idol for it, Okay. They really wanted to make sure they had their backs covered, okay? So we want to make sure they, the idol of, uh, you know, a god of rain. We want to make sure that we set up an idol for the god of rain because we really want rain. And, well, we got to make sure that we also have a god of crops. So because we need crops, so we're going to build an idol as a, you know, this memorial type thing for, for this god. And, and then, oh, yeah, we should probably do this. And, and then don't forget this one and, and this one and this one. I mean, so many, so many. So as Paul's cruising around the city, he sees all these idols, and he is, he's, he's provoked within his spirit to, to share the gospel, to just share the gospel. And again, that, this is what I'm talking about, this, this mode that you and I need to, we need to get into. We need to find that groove and settle within that groove, okay? Not a rut, but it's a groove to where wherever you go, you're aware of your surroundings. You know what's going on within the city where you're at. It doesn't matter if the city where you live. Now, it should be with the city where we live. But even if you're on vacation or you're visiting some other town, that you're watching, you're, you're observing how these people live their lives. This is what Paul is doing. And it says, verse 17, he went to the synagogue to debate with the Jews and the God-fearing Gentiles, and he spoke daily in the public square to all who happened to be there, okay, or in the marketplace. Um, so he's doing what he, what he always does. He, he, there's a synagogue that's there. So he goes to the synagogue and he has a, uh, a debate with the Jews and the, the God-fearing Gentiles, okay? Debates are good. Debates are not bad. Debates are not wrong. Arguments are unproductive, okay? I'll say that. Arguments don't really get you anywhere. Debates, good, healthy, you say something, it's like a tennis match, Right? You serve the ball, you, you volley the ball over to them, and hopefully they hit it back, and then you hit it back, and then they hit it back, and this is debating. It's healthy. And when it's done respectfully, there can be great results from that. 
arguing is like taking that tennis ball machine that fires those things out and firing it at somebody, okay? Like trying to destroy them. We don't need arguments. We need debates. We need conversation, healthy conversation. This is what Paul was doing in the synagogues. So he's talking to these Jews and these devout persons, these uh, religious people, so to speak. Um, And anybody in the public square or anybody in the marketplace who just happened to be there, right? That was Paul's MO. He's like, he goes to the marketplace and -and so-and-so shows up and he's like, oh, so you just happened to be here. I'm going to tell you about Jesus, right? (laughs) Like, that's just what he did. And it's, there's no coincidence as to who God was bringing to these marketplaces when they were showing up there. The key to it is this. Um, Paul was ready for them. He was ready for them. He, he didn't say like, you know, I'm in Athens. You know, this is my second missionary journey. Um, I've already encountered so much hardship. Yeah, I think I'm just going to take it. I think I'm just going to take some time off. I need some me time. I need some me time and you know, I'm just going to, you know, I'm just going to go find a nice little spot on the Mediterranean Sea there and, uh, you know, just, just me, right? He didn't do that. He didn't do that. He went to Athens and he says, all right, I checked out the city. I became familiar with my surroundings and I went to the synagogues. I talked to those people and then I went into the marketplaces and I was, I was just looking for whoever it was that the Lord was going to direct me towards, right? Whoever he was going to bring into my path, so to speak. And I shared the gospel with them. Did he ever take breaks? Of course he did. Of course he did. Should you take breaks? Yes. Rest. Okay? You can't read through the gospels and not see that Jesus placed emphasis on resting. Okay? Getting away. He would get away from all the, the busyness and the madness. And, but what was his rest? His rest was spending time with the Father. That's what his rest was. Get alone so he could pray. Early in the morning, he would get away. So we know that Paul did the same thing, but on this missionary trip in this really cool city, I'm sure it was, it was an incredible experience, but he's like, I'm here for a reason. I'm, here for, I'm not going to pass up this opportunity I may not ever go back to Athens, and more than likely, he didn't. So he's going he's gonna to be purposeful, and everywhere he went, he was going to be probably praying like, okay, Lord, who do you want me to speak to? Who do you want me to speak to? So he's going there in the marketplace every day, and he encounters uh, two different uh, groups of individuals, okay? Uh, it says here, verse, verse 18, he also had a debate with some of the Epicurean and Stoic philosophers. Now, you need to understand, Athens was a, uh, an intellectual, like, hub, okay? Like, the brightest were hanging out in Athens, all right? Even, even after its glory days, 100 years after its glory days, quote-unquote, um, this is where the, the intellectual elite would still hang out. So you got the Epicureans and the Stoics. Uh, wrote down some stuff concerning both of these groups. Uh, the Epicureans, their chief purpose of life was, was pleasure, okay? Uh, the purpose of living was to indulge yourself in pleasure. So kind of hedonistic in one sense. You know, just going full into whatever gives you pleasure, whether it's food or drink, relationships. Uh, the purpose of your, your existence on this planet is to find pleasure, and whatever that is for you. Uh, 
they most valued a peaceful life, free from pain, fear, and especially the fear of death. Okay, these guys didn't like thinking about death. They didn't like pain, okay? Uh, so they were going to try to do, and it, let's assume pain happens within their lives. You get a little migraine, you get a little headache. Well, you're going to, if you're an Epicurean, you're going to do whatever it takes to numb that pain. So maybe that's a drink. Maybe that's a substance. Because you have to maintain this lifestyle of pleasure. Well, natural life says pain is a part of life. Pain is a part of it for everybody. It doesn't matter what your philosophical stance is. Nobody's exempt from pain. Nobody's exempt from dying. It's going to happen, okay? There's two people that it didn't happen to. One's name is Enoch. The other one was Elijah. We are not, none of us are neither one of those guys, okay? And unless the rapture happens, we're all going to taste death. Nothing to be afraid of, though, for believers. Nothing to be afraid of. These Epicureans, they feared death. They did not deny the existence of God, but believed that, they, that these gods, whomever they may be, had nothing to do with them, okay? Um, so they believe that, yeah, there's, there's gods out there, but as far as their interaction with human beings, you know, they don't really, they don't really interact with us, okay? That's the Epicureans. Uh, their main guy was Epicurus. Um, that was his name. Not that that matters, uh, but they were all students of his. The, uh, the, the Stoics. This is one I could probably relate to more, more so than the Epicureans in one sense. Um, not because of what I'm going to read to you, but kind of, okay? They're pantheists, okay? They believe, you know, like, you know, God's like in all things, okay? Um, they put great emphasis on moral sincerity, and had a high sense of duty, and a proud dignity about them. And here was their philosophy on death. Um, if your life was pretty, like, uh, wasn't going so great in one sense, um, they figured it was, they thought it was honorable to just take your own life. The, the honorable way out was to commit suicide for the Stoics. Like, if your life is just unworthy, um, and it, you're not living up to whatever and all this good stuff, and, you know, it's just in the, in the dumps, so to speak, the honorable thing to do would be to take yourself out, which is a terrible mindset to have, okay? Very fatalistic in their approach to life, but very serious, Stoics, very serious, okay? And, and there's, there's elements to that that I can appreciate, so they're kind of the polar opposites of the Epicureans, where they're like looking for pleasure, and so they're probably a little bit more, you know, out there kind of a thing, where you got the Stoics who are just kind of like serious, just serious, very respectful, and all this good stuff. Um, these two philosophies are very prevalent within our world today. They're very prevalent within our world today, especially Stoicism. And uh, I listen to, you guys know, I listen to several podcasts throughout the week while I'm working outside and mowing yards or whatever. And uh, one of them that I listen to, The Art of Manliness, which is a great podcast. Um, but every so often, there's guys that, that come on there and they're, they kind of fall in line with this stoic kind of philosophy. You know, and, and there's, there's an appeal kind of for this, I think for a lot of men, you know, to be like a man of honor, a man of dignity, right? Which should be. However, we don't, you know, we don't fall in line with the theological beliefs of Stoics, okay? <laughs> so be honorable, be dignified, 
be respectful. Take life seriously, but not too seriously. Um, so that's who Paul is dealing with. You got two different groups of individuals, almost like a Pharisees and Sadducees kind of a scenario that he's talking to here in, here in Athens. So he, he debates with these guys. Here's what's so fascinating about this. Paul is a brilliant man. He's a brilliant man, and he can have a conversation with anybody, regardless of what their intellectual level was. I mean, they could have, you know, they could be off the charts on their IQ, and he could still engage them in conversation. So, I mean, again, Paul was a brilliant man, but one thing that we should never disqualify ourselves regarding is, like, I, I'm just not that smart, right? Like, because sometimes we think that. Of like, what if I encounter somebody who is, like, so much more smarter than I am? You don't have to worry about it. You don't have to worry about it. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. And here's the number one reason why it does not matter. The Holy Spirit will give you the words you need in, in engaging people in conversations, especially when you're bringing it to the gospel. The Holy Spirit will provide you the words that you need. You do not need to worry about impressing people with what you know. You should be more concerned about who you know and the fact that they should know him, right? I've had conversations with people who are like, just through the roof, way smarter than I am. I mean, like, completely. And they talk about stuff, and I'm like, I don't even know what you're saying. I have no idea. Like, I, get, I have, you might as well be speaking a foreign language to me because I'm not tracking with you. Like, I have no clue. I have no clue. But it doesn't matter. You can still engage people, and, and regardless of intellectual levels and all that stuff, it does not matter. It doesn't matter. And you should never let that uh, keep you from talking to anybody. Can you talk to university professors? Of course. Of course. Number one, just because they're there doesn't mean they're the smartest, all right? So let's never forget that. There's a whole system to uh, picking profs in colleges and stuff. But you should never let it intimidate you. You should never let it keep you from sharing the gospel. If the Lord says, hey, go share the, go, go share the gospel with them, you can trust that if he's telling you to go and do that, he's probably going to direct that conversation how he would like it to go. They may ask you questions that are difficult, that you don't know the answer to. Please, Christians, tell them that you don't know the answer. It's okay. It is perfectly fine not to know stuff, even about the, your, what you believe in. Okay, but that just means you need to do your homework. That just means you need to try, you know, you need to dig into the Word a little bit more because they may bring up stuff that's like, oh man, I didn't know that that was a thing. I had no clue, I didn't know. I didn't know there were so many inaccuracies within the Bible, right? Because that's one thing. But so what do you do? You dig into it. You figure out why, where they're coming from. But you could say like, I don't know. Well, what about this? Oh, that's a good question. I don't know, but I'll find out. Let's meet again. Give me a week. Give me a few days. Let me do my homework, and then let's, let's have coffee, you know, and then we'll meet, and, I, and I'll come, and I'll, I'll see if I can address your questions or your concerns. That's what, that's what the church needs to be doing. No more of this like, well, let me just talk a lot and see if that answer just maybe kind of comes out of my mouth miraculously. It might happen, but it's probably not going to, okay? So, it's perfectly fine just saying, like, I don't, you know, I don't know. I don't know. 
but you have to take the next step and say, but let me write that down and go do some research. And I'll find out for you. That's, that's the best way. That's, that's the best way to handle these things because for so long, the world has just thought that the church is just, for the most part, kind of arrogant in one sense, as if we have all the answers because sometimes we pretend like we have all the answers when in fact, we don't have all the answers. And we still struggle in this life just like everybody else and trying to figure out like, well, why is that like that? Do your homework. Be okay with not knowing everything. Because listen, none of us know everything. Seems like most of us in here have survived our teenage years and we've discovered hopefully that well, I don't know hardly anything. The older I get, the more I realize I just don't know that much. I thought I did. Now I don't. Now I'm like, oh my gosh, I... Oh well, but hey, if that brings us to a place of discovery, then do the work. Do the work. No, there's no room for laziness in Christianity. None. None. Do the work. Do the hard things. Hard thing is studying your Bible. Hard thing is approaching those questions and finding answers for those questions. And it may take you days, weeks, months, years, but do the work. Do the work. Be diligent. Be diligent in this. Paul's having to debate with these guys. <clears throat> and so he shares with them. It, it says there, uh, the rest of verse 18, it says, when he told them about Jesus and his resurrection, they said, this babbler, that's kind of a mocking term, okay? This isn't a compliment. This babbler has picked up on some strange ideas. Others said, he's pushing some foreign religion. Okay? So Paul in his debating with the Epicureans and the Stoic philosophers, he is sharing with them about Jesus and his resurrection. Okay? This was key for these guys because these guys, for them to, the, the notion of resurrection was like, why in the world would you want to come back from the dead? Like everything material is evil. So if we resurrect from the dead, we come back and I'm in this body again. Well, this body is basically evil. So why would I want to come back into an evil body? That's kind of where they were at philosophically. So Paul's like, no, Jesus, he died on the cross. He rose from the grave. He's just giving them the gospel. And they're like, ah, this babbler. He, who's, where's this guy from? Um, he, you know... He's, he's, staying, he's just staying on track, though. I'm, I'm going to share the gospel, and I'm going to see where this, you know, where this takes me. So where it takes them is to the council of the philo uh, ph uh, philosophers, if I can speak, the uh, Aeropagists, or Mars Hill, okay? So it says, uh, verse 19, they took him to the council of the philosophers, or they took him to Mars Hill. Um, Come and tell us more about this new religion. And yes, it was technically a new, not so much a religion, but it is a new idea. It's a new idea. They said, verse 20, uh, you were saying some rather startling things, and we want to know what it's all about. Verse 21, it should be explained that all the Athenians, as well as foreigners in Athens, seem to spend all their time discussing the latest ideas. These people just sat around and talked and just told stories to each other, basically. And when travelers would come in, they'd be like, all right, so tell us. Tell us, tell us what, what you've heard, what you know, okay? Um, they, they were, you know, they loved current events. They loved, and they loved learning new things. I mean, 
they were in the right city for this. This is probably what has drawn most of these people to that city. They loved learning. They loved hearing some of these stories. And what Paul was saying intrigued them. And so they wanted to hear, they wanted to hear more about it. Tell us more. Which is a great thing. That's a great invitation. Okay? Even though they're calling him a babbler, which is a mocking that is happening. Okay? They're mocking him technically. <laughs> but there's an opportunity. And, and what, what would we do with that same opportunity? I mean, if it's me and you, you call me a babbler, then I'm probably going to be insulted and I'm not going to have any more dealings with you. I'm going to be like, wait, hold on. Like, no. Okay, I'm not going to let you insult me. And I just walk away, right? It's kind of normally what I do. But Paul's like, all right, I'll take that. I'll take that. I'm not offended by that. I'm not offended by that. You can call me what you want. That's fine. Uh, I'm just looking for my open door. And they gave him it. They didn't just open the door to him. They escorted him through the door to the chief council that was happening there. He had a great, a tremendous audience. They took him right up there to the counselor, the council of the philosophers, this Areopagus, and there's, I mean, this is a group of leading, the leading thinkers within this city. They were the authority, so to speak. So they want to hear more. And Paul, this is what he does. This is what he tells them. <clears throat> I should probably turn my page because, you know. That's, that's good. You know, turning your Bible page is a good thing. Uh, I don't know if you know that, but uh, you can't read the next verse if you don't turn the page. As I'm staring at my Bible thinking like, where'd the verse go? Um, it's on the other page. Yeah. Welcome to my world. Um, such is my life, so shall my preaching be. That's my, that's my motto. I got that from Britt Merrick. There you go. It's not pretty, it's not always pretty, and it's certainly not professional, but, <laughs> but it's from the heart. So there you go. Um, <laughs> there you go, verse 22. So Paul, standing before the council, addressed them as follows. <clears throat> Men of Athens, I noticed, that's key, I noticed, okay, I observed that you are very religious. Well, that's nice. Kind of, I guess. Paul's walking around. He's like, yeah, he's like, you guys are, you guys are like super religious. You're not just very religious. You are blatantly religious. I mean, it is everywhere. It, it, it's in a sense, it's like there's a church on every street corner. You are hyper religious. It doesn't mean much, but it is an observation that Paul had made when he cruised around the city and he took in the sights and the sounds and the smells of Athens when he became familiar with the city where God had allowed him to come to. So he's taking notes of the city as he's cruising around Galveston. He's like, oh, you guys like to throw a lot of parties here, huh? Yeah, you guys celebrate everything, <clears throat> whether it's Mardi Gras to bikers to you name it. This is a party town. That's what Paul would say about us here in Galveston, okay? He probably has some other observations as well, but for, the, for Athens, he's like, I've noticed you guys are very religious. He says, for I was walking along, your, uh, walking along and I saw your many altars, not idols, so to speak, or not statues and all this stuff. These are altars, okay? These are places where people would bow down, so 
in one sense, to worship. He says, and one of them had this inscription on it, to an unknown God. You've been worshiping him without knowing who he is, and now I wish to tell you about him. This is why you have to know your surroundings. This is why you need to go exploring. This is why, because if you don't, then you miss one idol, one altar in the sea of many altars that is, that's been ascribed to the unknown God. Why the unknown God? Just in case we miss something. Just in case we miss something. We got our crop God, we got our rain God, we got our home and auto God, God and all this stuff. Like, so we need, so this unknown one, he'll just cover everything that we miss, Right? There's this one, and he's in the city. I don't know where he's at, within the, where this, this statue was at in the city, but Paul noticed it. And it probably was the Holy Spirit just, just like awakening his mind to say, hey, take notice of this. We're going to use this. We're going to use this one. So he says, I, I notice, what I, what I also appreciate about this is they were acknowledging their ignorance. The smartest people on the planet had to come to this realization that they are ignorant about some things. That's a good place. John Stott says this, the Athenians uh, have acknowledged in their uh, altar inscription that they are ignorant of God. And Paul has been given evidence of their ignorance, so he notices this. Now he declares such ignorance to be culpable, meaning their time of ignorance is over because now I'm going to enlighten you to who this God is. So now you can't walk around being ignorant anymore about who God is because I'm going to tell you who he is. I'm going to solve this mystery for you. Paul says, I wish to tell you about him. Verse 24, he is the God who made the world and everything in it. Since he is Lord of heaven and earth, he doesn't live in man-made temples and human hands can't serve his needs. For he has no needs, he himself gives life and breath to everything, and he satisfies every need there is. From one man, he created all the nations. Wow, that's a good word today. From one man came all the nations. Huh, yeah, interesting. From one man, he created all the nations throughout the whole earth. He decided beforehand which should rise and fall, and he determined their boundaries. I love this. Paul would go into the synagogues and what he would do, he would do, he would do this. He would teach to them from their scriptures. He shows up here at Mars Hill and he's going to share with them from their scriptures, so to speak. He starts with creation. They don't have a Bible. They don't read the Bible. They probably don't care much about the Bible. But Paul's like, let me meet you where you're at. Let me meet you where you're at. Because you can show up and you can quote verses and stuff like that, but they may not hear that. So can you share the gospel in other ways? Yes, you can. Yes, you can. The book of Romans tells us that God has made himself evident in nature. He's clearly known. He's revealed himself. Just step outside. And he's like, hey, my signature's on everything. It's on everything. So you could talk to people about the beauty of creation and you can lead that conversation towards Jesus. 
You can do that. You absolutely can. And then you can bring in scriptures. But you can start the conversation off with like, hey, so you care a lot about creation. You care a lot about nature. Well, let's talk about nature. Let's talk about this great artist who, can't, who constantly paints the most beautiful sunrises and the most beautiful sunsets. Let's talk about this creator who has caused all these beautiful different flowers to bloom when they bloom and where they bloom and the different colors and, and how he can use that and these different trees and, and the whole different, you know, all the stuff. We can talk about those things and lead that, drive that conversation to Jesus. Jesus was a very active participant within creation itself. So Paul shows up and he's like, I'm going to talk to these guys. These guys don't read the Bible. They don't read the Bible. They're, they weren't at the synagogue when I was teaching there. These guys don't have time for that. So what do I do? Well, back in, you know, in the Pentateuch, you know, this, and they're going to be like, what? The pen of what? No. No, it's like, let me tell you about this unknown God. Let me tell about this God that you, you worship, but you don't even know who he is. And let's start back with creation. Let's start back with creation. Always a good place to go. Always a good place to go. He made the whole world. He made everything in it. He is the Lord of heaven and earth. He doesn't live in man-made temples. This is key to these guys because what they would do is erect these temples and all these beautiful monuments to these gods to try to appease these gods because if we build them a super nice house and all this stuff, then maybe they won't kill us. Maybe they won't squash us. Maybe they'll make it rain. Paul's like, no, that's not how God works. That's not how he works. This one unknown God, let me tell you how he works. He doesn't need you. He doesn't need you to build him a house. He doesn't need you to carve an image for him. He's made all that stuff. He doesn't need you to give it back to him in that sense. He doesn't need you carving out some cool little idol. He's like, he doesn't need that. He doesn't want that. What he wants is you. What he wants is a relationship with you. He knows how cool ivory is and all that stuff and the, the columns. He, know, he made it all. It doesn't exist without him. So he's like, I don't, I don't want that. I want you. Because nature is not created in the image of God. Mankind is created in the image of God. He just wants us. He just wants us. Human hands can't serve his needs. He has no needs. If he had needs, he wouldn't be worthy of worshiping. He wouldn't be worthy of serving. If you got a God who needs something from you because he is not capable of producing it himself, you need to find a new God. That's lowercase g. That's not capital G, right? And Paul's like, no, this unknown God, he doesn't need anything from you. He's got it figured out. He's, he's brilliant. He's got it. He doesn't need us, but he wants us. Doesn't need us, but he wants us. It says, for he himself has no needs. He himself gives life and breath to everything. He satisfies every need there is. So it, here's the incredible thing is Paul is just dropping this, this, uh, this cool little message on these guys. He's like, he doesn't need us to do anything for him. In fact, he's willing to do 
and to give to us what we need. He will, and he, what Paul would even say, my God shall supply all of your needs. You got needs? Here's the thing. You got a, you got a really good God who cares about those needs. And you can, you can cry out to him at any moment in time and say, Lord, I need you. I need you. Now, oftentimes, we mistake a need for a want. God, I really want this. No, no, I need that. And he's like, well, that sounds like you really want it, right? Like need, uh, let's redefine the terms, okay? But there are definitely times where, man, there's just times where it's like, Lord, I need you. I, I, I need you right now. Like you have to show up right now. That was me before the service started when my, my brain is like, my head is like, I'm like, Jesus, you have to show up now. You have to. You have to, because I won't be able to read when this thing sets in. And as a good shepherd, he comes alongside and says, I got you. I got you. He knows how to take care of our needs. Now, it would have been nice if that would have never happened. But that's not how it works. <laughs> that's not how it works. Because if it never worked, I mean, if it always worked out that way, we wouldn't, I would, we wouldn't be crying out to him. We wouldn't be crying out to him. But he knows how to take care of our needs. He knows how to satisfy our needs. It says, from one man, he created all nations. Through, so it's from Adam to Noah to you. And he knows how to set you up in the boundaries and who lives where and all this good stuff. It's a brilliant, beautiful plan by God. The different people and ethnicities and where they live and, and all that stuff, it is absolutely brilliant. Brilliant. And with skin pigmentation, some have more of it than others. And, and there's a reason for that. And it's so cool and it's amazing. It's, it's just brilliant. I just, we've been listening to Miles McPherson. And uh, I don't know if you know Miles, but pastor at The Rock in San Diego. And he did this. He, he put out a book. And I'm halfway through it. It's really good. It's called The Third Option. Everybody should buy it and read it. Just, yeah, read it. It's amazing. Um, but we've been watching as a family. We've started the first video of that. As he's sharing with the church and he's just talking about, you know, for him what it's like growing up and, and just trying to bring this third option of like, it's not us and then, you know, it's not we're picking this side or we're picking that side. No, we're picking Jesus's side. That's where we're coming from. And he talks about just the beauty of like, some people are born in the womb with a really nice tan. That's really cool. Some of us will pay money to go or to go spend time on the beach so we can get the darker skin. But the Lord, I mean, it's just beautiful how God has done it to where... It's all just part of his creative ability. And, it's, and we should celebrate that. We should absolutely celebrate that. It is amazing. It, it's the coolest thing ever. That, and I, I'm just always reminded, I love art. I'm a big art kind of guy. I did a lot of art in school. And, um, and, and I just always think of God as, he's just the most brilliant artist ever. Whether it comes to human creation and different shapes and sizes and skin tone and, 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 you know, the way that we talk sometimes, even within our own nation, we have different, like, accents and, and all that good stuff. I don't, apparently, I don't have a good enough Texas one um, because people don't realize I'm from Texas, but born and raised, like, I think I need to say y'all more, I guess, but I just don't. Um, but it's just, it's amazing how, like, this works, and, and it says there that he, you know, he's determined their boundaries, and it's just so brilliant of who he is. 
I had a friend in Bible college. She, she was the first person ever to convey this thought to me. Um, we were going to, I believe it was Oceanside. Could have been San Diego, but um, I think it was one, one of our trips where we go to Street Witness. So Oceanside, Camp Pendleton, you got a bunch of Marines out there and a bunch of nightlife happening out there and it's just a fun place to go. And just walk up and down, you know, different, the pier and, and wherever else and just share the gospel. But as we were going, and the drive from Murrieta, California to Oceanside, it's just, it's an incredible drive. It's just beautiful. There's, there's hills everywhere. And, and at this point in time, the, the hills, which they're, you know, we should be praying for our friends in California, Oregon, Washington, all over because um, now it's just blood red over there, but um, the hills were green and the sun was setting, setting out there over the Pacific Ocean and through the hills and all this stuff, and we're just driving out, and, and she said, she's like, oh, she's like, isn't God just the, the, most, uh, the most brilliant artist? And I was like, what? And I just got saved, just got saved, but I was like, what? And she's like, look at this beautiful sunset he just painted. And every day he shows up to paint us a new sunrise and then he paints us a new sunset. She's like, isn't he the best? I'm like, I've never thought of that before. He is. It's amazing. And, and man, what a, what a cool thing. And, and this is Paul's just sharing with these guys. He's like, look, man, he's created it all and he, he's created us and he set up boundaries. And so you probably live with where you live because maybe that's where the Lord wants you to live, right? So you can trust in that. You can trust that he's got you there for a reason and all this good stuff. He goes on to say what the purpose is, though, verse 27. In his purpose in all this was that the nation should seek after him. They should seek after God and perhaps feel their way toward him and find him. Though he is not far from any one of us. That's like the most beautiful little phrase. Paul's like, look, he, he's, he's done all this stuff. What, what's the purpose of existence? Why are you here? You're here to fall in love with Jesus and to worship God. That's why you're on this planet. Now, with that, you, get a, you got a job to do if you're a Christ follower. You go and tell people about him. And you say, look, are you looking for purpose in your life? If you're looking for purpose in your life, I can show you where that's at. That's found in Jesus. And this is what Paul's saying to the, to the smartest people on the planet at this point in time. He's saying, look, God has done all this stuff so that you would fall in love with him, so that you would worship him, so that the nations would seek after God and perhaps feel their way. The, the idea there is it's kind of like grasping blindly. Now, what Paul is not saying here is that it's up to you to discover who God is, to find God. You don't find God, okay? Number one, he's not lost, okay? He's not lost. He's never been lost. And he's not playing a game of hide and seek with you or with unbelievers. That's not how God works. In fact, that's what we do. We like to hide from him, okay? Adam and Eve showed us how to do that. The first game ever of hide and seek was in the garden when they sinned, okay? And God's like, um... I don't know if you realize who I am, but I know where you're at, okay? So it's not that he's put this up so that, you know, we, we got to, like, just drag ourselves and search around blindly to try to discover who God is. That's not what he's saying. What he's saying there is, like, look, he's, he set all this stuff up so that we would fall in love with him. And he says, he is not far from any of us. He's a God who is near, 
He is the God who is near. So he's not like some of the, 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 the thought process, some of the philosophies of the day back then where it's that, you know, yeah, maybe there is a God who exists, but he is far off. He's not, he doesn't get involved in human, you know, relations, so to speak. He, he has no concern with what's happening here on this planet that he has created in some form or fashion. He set everything up and then backed away. That, that's, that's still a prevalent, you know, prevalent thought today. That, yeah, there might be a God who exists, um, but he's not really concerned about us. And Paul says, no, no, he's the God who is near. He's closer than what you think. He's closer than what you realize. This is a good word of encouragement for, hopefully, for non-believers. This is a good, a good word for us as believers. He's the God who is near. When it feels as, feels as though he is distant, he's the God who is near. He doesn't change. He doesn't change. And let me, let me reframe your thinking on one little concept, okay? Because there is this notion of like, and it's true to a certain extent. Where it's like, if it feels like, you know, that God is distant or that, you know, whatever, it more than likely it's because you've grown distant from him. I, I, I know what they're saying. I get it, but I don't really 100% agree with that. I just can't. Because he's a God who's not far from any of us. And I believe, I believe, when I'm a knucklehead, okay, which is not uncommon, when I'm a knucklehead, and I am going this direction away from him, away from him, away from him. We, in our brains, we think that, well, he was over here and he just stays over here. And he's like, well, when are you going to come back? I think that being an omnipresent God, even as far, far over here as I go, I'm trying to stay within the camera shot there, uh, as far over here as I go, he is still near. He's still near. So I want to kind of take away that thought process of like, man, I just drifted far away from God. You can't drift far away from God. He is the God who is near. Okay? Now, quit being a knucklehead, right? Stop doing what you're doing and turn to him. That's called repentance. Run back to him. Like that beautiful little story in the Gospel of Luke where you had the prodigal son and the dad who was like, the dad who was what? He was chasing down his son. He's the God who's near. He's near, he's close to the brokenhearted. He's the good shepherd who will chase after that one sheep who, who is off doing whatever he shouldn't be doing. He's the God who's near. Please never forget that. And you may be, and you know, maybe you're backslidden and all that stuff and you're kind of like, you feel as though you're, you're drifting away from God. I, I need you to understand this concept he is right there. And you can always just stop and just turn. And it's not like you've got to turn and now I've got to work my way all the way back here. That's a false idea. That's a works mentality. The moment you stop and you turn and say, Lord, I am sorry, boom, he's right there in your face, ready to embrace you. He's a God who's near. It's good for these guys. It's good for us. It's probably good for people within your family. It's probably good, a good word for people that you're friends with 
who feel like, man, God will never welcome me back. He'll never take me back. I've gone too far. And you get to show up in their lives and say, no, 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 no. He's still near. He's still close to you. You just got to turn around, right? That 80 songs playing in your head right now, turn around, right? Anybody? No? Just me? Okay, I'm weird. I get it. Um, my kids and I watch a lot of 80s music videos, so um, I don't know what the name of that song is, but it just, man, it's just ringing in my ears right now. Um, turn around. Uh, there you go. Now that I've lost you, um, or at least I've lost myself, uh, I should probably get back to this. Okay, verse, um, verse 28. It says, uh, for in him we live and move and exist. As one of your own poets says, we are his offspring. This is really cool that he quotes these guys, uh, Apimendes and uh, Eratus. Okay, these are two poets that Paul quotes to these guys. Okay, um, some people have issues with this. Like, why would you quote a secular person in your sermon? Paul's like, well, because it's true. Well, because that illustrates what I'm talking about. It's not bad. It's not wrong. And, and, and Paul gets bashed a lot from Acts, for Acts chapter 17. He gets beat up a lot for this because a lot of people say like, oh, no, so you didn't do it like this and this. And we have 1 Corinthians where you said, I desire to preach nothing, proclaim nothing to you but Christ and him crucified. Well, why didn't you do it in Acts chapter 17 on Mars Hill, Paul? And he's like, well, I was trying to. They shut me off. There's nothing wrong with him quoting from these poets. In fact, I wrote down this, this little quote here um, as he's, he's talking about this. Uh, he 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 quotes them because it, it's, it says uh, he uses these specific words because they reflected a biblical truth. What he was doing was building a bridge. He was building a bridge. You can do that. Talk to people. Maybe a song lyric comes up in your head and maybe it's, you know, from whoever, some artist from the past. Turn around. Whoever sang that song, whatever that song is, you're like, yeah, I sing about this song. And you can use that to build a bridge. To build a bridge, it's fine, it's okay, it's all right. That's not the majority of his message. His message wasn't built upon what these poets said. He just used what they said to add a little seasoning to the sermon. There's nothing wrong with that. Nothing wrong with that at all. Goes on to say, as he quoted to them from their own poets, um, it says, and since this is true, we shouldn't think of God as an, as an idol designed by craftsmen from gold or silver or stone. Like, we can't, you can't make God, okay? You can't make God. Gold or silver or stone. It says, verse 30, God overlooked people's former ignorance about these things, but now he commands everyone everywhere to turn away from idols and to turn to him. The days of ignorance, gone, gone. It's like, okay. I understand that for a certain time, all this, you know, all that, he can, he can overlook those things. Um, but Paul is revealing to them who this unknown God is. And now, because of that, it is time to repent. Verse 31, for he has set a day for judgment or for judging the world with justice by the man he has appointed, that's Jesus, and he proved to everyone who this is by raising him from the dead. And that's where he lost him. He's like, look, you made this, this, this altar, this, this thing. It's to the unknown God. And now I'm proclaiming to you who that God is. So now your time of ignorance is, is done. Now you're accountable. 
So I revealed to you who the unknown God is. So now you're accountable to handle that, to deal with that information. So what are you going to do? And he goes on to talk about, listen, here's why you need to deal with this. Because judgment's coming. Judgment's coming. And it's coming in the form of Jesus because Jesus is coming back. He died. He died on the cross. He was buried in that tomb. For three days, he rose from the dead. God raised him from the dead. And it was at that notion, the resurrection of the dead, they just shut off. They turned off. It says, when they heard, verse 32, when they heard Paul speak of the resurrection of a person who had been dead, some laughed, but others said, we want to hear more about this later. That ended Paul's discussion with them. But some joined him and became believers. Among them were... Uh, Dionysus, uh, a member of that council. So that was kind of cool. Somebody that was sitting there heard and got saved. That's really cool. That's valuable. Another was a, a woman named uh, Damaris. And it says, and others. So I have a hard time when people say that this is a failure. I have a difficult time. And there's people that I love dearly, pastors that I love dearly. And I can read through their commentaries and they say like, yeah, it's kind of a failure. And I'm like, how? And it's wrong of us. I think it's wrong of us to judge Paul by this message and its results. I think it's wrong to judge any pastor by the results of his message. Okay? I'd be like, well, you know, everybody didn't come forward to receive the Lord. Yeah, well, okay. Well, who's doing that? Like, that's, number one, that's, we're, we're keeping this thing within human understanding and realms. The Lord is moving, and the Lord obviously moved through this message because people got saved. Well, where's the church? He didn't plant a church. So? Did people get saved? Yeah. So Paul didn't plant a church in Athens. Okay. Okay, maybe that's, maybe that's okay. Maybe that's, what, that's not what the Lord wanted at that time. None of us know. We don't know. What, what do we know? Paul was faithful. He was faithful. And as he went to this town called Athens, he observed this community in which he was staying in because of necessity, and he noted how they lived their lives and how, how religious they were and all these different things. He took note of these things, and then when the opportunity came, when the Lord opened up the opportunity for him to talk to them, to share with them, he, he, he shared the gospel with them. And that gained him an audience with the leaders of that city. And, and even as he's sharing the gospel, and he's getting like right to the heart of the message, the meat of it, they're like, no, 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 no more, no more. Some of them were like, we want to hear more about this later. Did he get to share with them later? Doesn't say. It doesn't say. But the word went out. People got saved. People in the marketplace, more than likely, the whosoever that just happened to be there probably gave their lives to Jesus. You have this one major main leader there, uh, however you say this guy's name, uh, he gets saved. That's planting seeds. That's going to have an impact for when Paul leaves Athens. We got to stop. And I'm speaking about for myself and my little group that I get to run around in, and that's called pastors. We have this tendency to judge everything by numbers and turnout and hands raised and people coming forward and all this stuff, and it is just nonsensical. 
Who are we? Who are we to judge that? None of us, including myself, none of us who stand from in, behind a pulpit and proclaim the word of God have any clue as to what the Lord's doing in the hearts of the people who show up. You could be here today and you're like, holy cow, have you been reading my mail? How'd you know that was going on in my life? And I'm like, I don't know. I have no idea. Most of the time I walk off the stage and I'm like, I feel like a failure. And then people come to me and be like, that's the greatest thing I've ever heard. And I'm like, are you serious? Did you hear what I thought I was hearing? Because it, it was, ugh. Go find somebody else to listen to. Like, that's usually how I feel. We have no idea what's going on. We have no clue. So we got to stop. We got to stop. Well, this church isn't that big. This church doesn't. Who cares? The church belongs to the Lord. Paul was a missionary on, the mission, on a mission to share the gospel, and he did it faithfully. That's what matters. That's what matters. I do not believe at all for one second that when Paul walked through those pearly gates, so to speak, that God's like, hey, dude, you did a really good job, but we really need to talk about Acts chapter 17, Athens. He's like, you didn't do a good job. No, that's not it at all. He's like, well done. Good job. Way to represent. I didn't get a lot of results. doesn't matter. What matters? Obedience and faithfulness. That's what matters, Okay. This is a God who is near. He is near to, to you and I. He's near. He will never leave you nor forsake you. He will never leave you nor forsake you. Even when you're being a knucklehead and you're running away from him, he will never leave you. He will never forsake you. He is the God who is near. So realize that. Embrace that. Turn around. If there's something, turn around and just let him embrace you and stay faithful stay on a mission and just just man have a blast living on this planet while you're here because you serve jesus and let people see that let people see that lord jesus we thank you for this day i thank you that you are the god who is near lord and i i man i i pray that this message really just uh rings true within our hearts and our minds today, especially when we live in such a divided country. Lord, there's just so much animosity. And not just animosity, but there's so much hurt and pain. Lord, I, I pray that, I pray that your church would, Lord, if your church needs to repent, and it probably does, that we would repent. We realize that you, you never left us. And that you're, you're still the God who is near. I pray for our nation. I pray for revival to happen within our, within our nation. Lord, I pray for just a plethora of just yuck that's out there, Lord. Whether it's racism or child abuse and, and all this just crazy stuff. These crazy times we live in, Lord. I, I pray for repentance. And I pray for salvation to fall upon our land. We pray for our friends on the West Coast. We pray for those who are, who've had to evacuate their houses, who may have to evacuate their houses. Lord, we pray for safety and protection over them. Pray for the ones who have lost their houses, Lord, who've even lost loved ones. We pray, Lord, that you would comfort their hearts. Lord, we pray for our friends in Louisiana, still recovering from a hurricane with the threat of another one coming their way. Pray for our friends to the east of us, Lord. 
And Lord Jesus, we pray that as your church, that we would stay faithful to you and we would stay on mission. Lord, so help us, give us a passion for the lost. And we thank you, Lord, that uh, you're with us every step of the way. And we just pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.